0: How are you doing my friend?
1: I'm good. How are you?
0: I'm doing very well given the circumstances. It's uh, I want to say it's been a long time but since we chatted the other day uh, via another similar platform with some old friends uh, I guess we've we've been somewhat in touch.
1: Yeah we've had a few of those online chats over this however long this pandemic has been. It feels like it may almost be a year but it feels quite longer than that.
0: Well, anybody that is tuning in, you're listening to the Rex Crim Show. And today I'm sitting down with an old friend who goes just by Tori. Um, Tori is a wealth of knowledge, and uh, I would consider a social and cultural critic. And uh, I'll have you know, he happens to be an expert at, uh, what is the game? I believe it's Guitar Hero, or um, <laughs> I have a source. Rock band? Rock Band, that's right. I had a source uh, give me that little tidbit of information.
1: I don't know if I'm an expert, but uh, I've definitely put way too many hours into that game.
0: How are you keeping during these days of COVID-19?
1: I'm doing all right. I mean, I think there's... I I was probably better set up to handle uh, the being away from large crowds of people all the time. Mm -hmm. I'm generally more of an introvert. So,
0: but but you always keep your finger on the pulse, I think
1: Uh, to some degree. Yeah. I think I, I see a lot of, you know, through online trends and stuff like that, you see where a lot of, a lot of things are going Mm -hmm. and I've, I've always been good at absorbing knowledge to some degree, or at least facts and stuff like that. And can use, what little intellect I have to kind of connect dots and stuff.
0: I remember you being uh, part of some gifted program. Uh, as I recall, I want to say an I the IB program, but maybe my memory is failing me, but to give a bit of context, uh, I'm referring to high school, of course. I think we should uh, give a bit of context for anyone listening. Uh, how is it that we know each other? Do you remember when we first met?
1: First met? I don't quite remember our older brothers were friends through I know for sure high school possibly earlier than that and we had met a few times through bits and pieces like that but uh, I would say like our consistent friendship started early on in high school because I think I think the like first year we were there we had a few classes together and based on where our names ended up on the roster sheet we often sat Either next to each other or close by. I think I may have slightly tutored you in math or something like that at the first year.
0: Probably my the gift of uh, the gift of the gab is what God bestowed on me, and uh, so if if God does exist, um, anyway, that's for a different episode, I, I guess. But <laughs> I um, I remember meeting you for the first time, I think, and it would have been well, probably in in class, but also in football.
1: Yes, we both did junior football together. Did you do two years or?
0: I didn't, I didn't stick it out. I, uh, I think I had a bit of an injury and I relied on that uh, as my excuse to not return, but also problematic uh, self-discipline and uh, other reasons. But I remember you were avid. I think you were, uh, you were QB for the team, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Uh, So first year I played safety and I was the backup quarterback. And then second year, Uh, I played quarterback, and then when we got to, like, senior football, there were more talented quarterbacks than me, so I uh, changed my role. Pretty much every year I played something different.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Was I mistaken? Was there an IB program, or I seem to remember you being involved with some extracurricular um, Uh, clubs in school.
1: I did a lot of extracurriculars, mostly because, for me, it was a way to – Get out of class and do something fun without it being like truancy although there was the odd case of that uh i did a trivia program which uh we did generally pretty well in and then i played i pretty much played sports every single time it was possible
0: my hope, eventually, this conversation will steer towards uh, the idea of cancel culture and, um, you know, talking about the state of affairs these days from our respective um, basements or wherever it is that we are. But I, um, I, I, I recall a story that uh, I wonder if you'll indulge, um, if you remember, I'm sure you will. I believe it was your birthday. And at the time, the, the band um, that I was playing in that shall remain nameless
1: <laughs> at the moment
0: was uh, we performed at your party it was in the backyard of your folks at the time yeah
1: i think that was my 18th birthday
0: i think it must have been less than that because i remember the police being called at a point
1: it was well it was 17th or 18th birthday so my birthday falls middle of june mm-hmm. uh so you and and some other mutual friends were in a band And Mm -hmm. I I asked you guys to play my birthday because, I mean, if you can get live music, even if the quality of said live music we won't get into. Sure, fine. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So I had you guys play, and I did have a neighbor who a number of times had made noise complaints for parties, things like that. Um, So yes, cops, cops showed up, and... I remember I was inside getting food or drinks or something, and one of our friends came in and tries to whisper to me, it's, uh, hey, hey, the, the cops are here. You gotta come out. And, uh, you know, small town, go out. The, the cop kind of knows who I am, or at least knows my family, and he's, he's talking. He's like, oh yeah, you know, there was a noise complaint, but I think at this point it was maybe nine o'clock like 30, 9 o'clock. It wasn't it wasn't super late, but getting there. And he was, you know, he was respectful and was just like, you know, this is fine. But once you hit, I think it's 10 o'clock for where we grew up, the, the noise laws. So once he's like 10 o'clock, shut down, or I come back and then that's when fines start happening. But then my mother comes out and she knows the cop by name. Like they go to the same gym, they see each other all this sort of stuff. So that's kind of like the the small town stuff where everything's so interconnected. And so she comes out, she's talking to him, saying hi. And I th- think the cop actually lived around where you did. So you also knew him?
0: Yeah. We have uh, we have a common uh, recollection, but you're I think you're being maybe more generous than I would have been. As I remember, there was the the the, the call was a bit overzealous, it seemed, um, or at least the police response, from what I remember, was a bit like excessive we were clearly just youngsters you know maybe there was a bit of underage drinking not me of course i was of age um but as you say it might have been the threshold people might have been 17 or 18 instead of the legal age in ontario which was 19 at the time yes and the officer who has a name for himself um a bit of a reputation for himself um as i recall came out and was demanding that everybody had their Hands up in the air, you know, adolescence, hands up in the air, let me see your hands. Mm. I remember this being a full force of uh, bravado, in my opinion. And I was, we were in the middle of the set and I had a bass guitar in my hands, you know, under the strap around my shoulder and, and, uh, and I think I had kind of been a bit mm, nonchalant or surprised at his reaction and uh when i didn't comply immediately i remember him becoming aggressive and saying you know hands up seriously i want to see it now you know he's carrying on and so what became of that officer um in theme with this conversation do you do you have any recollection
1: he he was charged for was it stealing evidence out of locker and selling it
0: later on it turned out he his uh, misconduct caught up with him
1: yeah so I, I wasn't out when he was the initial showing up. So for me, that part of the story is not something that I experienced. He,
0: he put on a friendly face when uh, yeah. Tor, Tori and the bearing the family name showed face.
1: Yeah. But I mean, it's also I understand underage drinking, but I believe part of the law is that it is acceptable on private property as long as reasonable uh, limits are and permissions are allowed yeah
0: i mean the letter of the law can be pretty blunt and uh, black and white but i think you know the unwritten rule is that it's you know there's parental supervision it was kind of it, i mean it was totally reasonable it was early in the evening nothing outrageous was happening and your folks were there
1: yeah so i, and, I seem to remember and i don't remember a ton of ton of actual drinking
0: no i no no it was nothing egregious the the only um nonsensical part of the evening it seemed was the officer carrying on the way he did yeah which uh you know which seems fitting given our conversation um because in his case he was sort of canceled wasn't he
1: was he was he canceled or was he just you know hoisted on his own petard he he definitely shot himself in the foot
0: Fair enough, and you know that I think if we put if we graduate, you know, transgressions, you know, um, clearly there are some inc- incidences that require intervention, and you know, there's serious misconduct, and then there's sort of uh, gray area or or less, um, you know, liking a tweet, yeah. for example, uh, which can put you in hot water. So I mean, there's there's different scale, you know, there's different um,
1: there's different degrees of it. Indeed. Which I I think that's for me going into cancel culture is to me, it's a a phenomenon that's kind kind of dumb to me. Like a lot of it is while sometimes necessary, the way it's gone about I find is, is kind of the wrong approach. Like a lot of it is attacking usually people in, like the public eye but usually people that are celebrity status and there i think there's a lot of places that that sort of outrage should be mo- focused on more
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it should be more towards people in in public office and stuff like that
2: mm-hmm.
1: because a lot of a lot of stuff is i think the most recent cases a lot of people are attacking Justin Timberlake for stuff that happened 15 20 years ago i think Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and while the stuff he did is really wrong and the attacks on him there's you got to go at the root problem not the consequences of it all Mm -hmm. the time Mm
0: -hmm. it seems like part of the the root of the issue is this idea of polarization and uh, how we're all living in well, I mean, please by all means disagree with me, but it seems as though we're all living in our own respective filter bubbles, and we have our own sort of alternative realities based on the information fed to us through a variety of feeds, which are, you know, informed through algorithms that yeah give a feedback, Luke, a feed, you know, of, of things you are inclined to already like.
1: No, you're you're very correct that the internet in its glory and downfall is that it has become so tailored and creates such an echo chamber of the things that we want to hear and that it is so easy to go out and find the things that just reaffirm your view. That, you know, there are times where some of these situations I'm sure get blown out of proportion because of that echo chamber and just, you know, cancel culture to me is almost like an online lynch mob in a way where it just starts and it grows and the internet brings out a lot of hate and the more hate that gets thrown into it the worse it gets and it gets bigger 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 until sometimes you have have events where maybe it's proven to not have been that way and Mm. things got overblown but then the internet just hates and you know can destroy people's careers for you know. for things that i mean i'm sure most people have made mistakes of some sort i mean we grew up in the 90s where you know homophobic slurs were one of the most common insults to people and nowadays like you you never say anything like that mm-hmm. but throughout the 90s that's just the the nomenclature you used the the words the part of the lexicon things like that so you know yeah easily like we could be cancelled for things we said back then.
0: I'm thinking of. Uh, I want to use the word ineffable. Um, I'm t- thinking of um, it described. I think in Edward Snowden's book Permanent Record, where he talks about the past being, you know, a time that was forgotten, and nowadays, absolutely everything seems to be recorded, and so you cannot escape this uh, this trap. Um, are you familiar with the with the, the idea of the panopticon at all, Jeremy Bentham's panopticon? Is that something you're you're at
2: all?
1: Yeah, it's the uh, the prison idea of a central pillar, like watchtower, and then every cell kind of faces it in a circle and is easy to view into, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. We're, exactly. The trans, you know, it's a useful. Um, diagram and way of making sense today, I think, more than ever in the digital world, not as Jeremy Bentham had imagined, I think, but I'm very familiar with it. I'm fascinated by this theory in criminology and penology. But that analogy was brought up in a fantastic podcast that I uh, happened to be listening to yesterday. I'll link it in the show notes. It was by, um, well, it's the Monk Debate podcast, if you're familiar at all. Um, Barry Weiss, who is a journalist and author on uh, speech in contemporary society. But to make a long story short, you know, she was highlighting how everybody's watching everyone else online and, you know, you can't necessarily see what's happening to, to the side. If you follow the algorithm or the, um, the analogy of, of the panopticon, you can't see who's next to you, but you can, you know, and you can't see out necessarily, but but, but the central uh, I mean, you can use the the central tower can see in and, and that's, I guess, some analogy. I don't exactly know. I'm rambling already. But uh, my question to you is, how do you engage in social media? What kind of accounts do you maintain?
1: Uh, most of my social media is like I have a Twitter. I don't tweet. I mostly use it to follow sports journalists. Um, the odd, interesting maybe like joke account that's satirical, you know, news, news comes up, stuff like that. Uh, my major source of most of my stuff is Reddit, which is one of those things you can kind of customize how you want, but most people see it as a left-leaning platform. Hmm. Um, I do have Facebook. It's mostly just to keep in touch with family members and friends. Some that I don't have, you know, cell contact number. So you, you know, the messenger is, is useful. It just, it just
0: works. Yeah. Yeah, I went through this phase where I got rid of all of it and I was sort of toting this idea that I don't, I don't subscribe to any social media. I don't use it. And then it occurred to me, well, I never got rid of my email and I still, I still went on YouTube and um, you know, I, I wasn't maybe doing some of the legacy channels that we're referring to like Twitter and although I did once have once upon a time have Twitter and Facebook but um, I gave all I gave those up and I haven't really returned and I, my life is you know just as well for it but I have found I've been spending a lot more time on Twitter than I think or uh, reddit excuse me than I would like to admit it's uh, very easy to fall into that rabbit hole
1: yeah and I think, social media is one of those let's be honest it's it's an addictive substance you know a lot of times it's especially on on reddit i Reddit because it's customizable you can have your hobbies you can have you know that a group on a show you're watching or you can have politics all this sort of stuff Mm. so you could make it really pared down into only the things that you know make it a small little bit here's just my hobby stuff. I'm only going to have it for hobbies. And then you're less likely to spend as much time strolling through. But if you do really open it up, there's always just something else comes up that, oh, that looks interesting. I might read that article. I'll save it for later. Oh, here's an interesting video. Versus even just, you know, then there's cat pictures and, you know, jokes.
0: Is there any one that you like more than the other? Or do you find... Um some more useful than others social medias yeah like different whichever of the main ones that you use twitter reddit facebook
1: uh reddit to me is the most interesting because it gets the most conversation and you can actually um check conversations based on either how they're upvoted which when it's a community run up like upvote system sometimes it's whatever The group kind of thinks might get pushed to the front, but you can sort by controversial, see which things have, you know, the most up and down votes, um, how it moves. But then also with Reddit, I can just there's a few subreddits that I quite like that they don't really deal with politics. They're very well thought out and they're very well moderated. Um, One fantastic one is ask historians Hmm. and they have a 20 limit time period, so nothing can be posted unless it's older than 20 years. So right now it's uh, this year, they can start talking about the history and stuff of the 9-11 attacks. Um, but the it's so well moderated that the uh, all the answers have to be properly sourced. So it's not just someone going, oh, I think it was this, or I remember this. It's no, no, here's, here's the thing I've, I've written out and here's the sources to back it up. So it's, it's quite a nice nice one to go to because it is such a strict form and it's usually not politicized. It's just, here's the facts that we have available and here's how it's presented.
0: I'm kind of surprised that you describe Reddit as left-leaning. I uh, I wonder if that's more a window into what comes through your feed as opposed to an, an actual uh, objective uh, take on what Reddit truly is.
1: Well, Reddit's one of those interesting... Bits because there are subreddits that are definitely going to be, um, you know, there there are the conservative ones, there's the liberal ones, there's the progressive ones, there's the, well, they got tried to get rid of as many as possible, but the like ultra right wing, nationalistic, the the hate groups, uh, but it's hard to constantly fight, you know, on an online platform, it's it is impossible to fully moderate anything.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So there, there's always going to be bits and pieces of of stuff that um, on both sides that are. I hate to say it, cesspools of humanity.
0: Funny you say that because I'm right now I'm new, very new to Reddit, and I uh, one of the things I decided is that I'm going to try to branch out. um, You know, I'm always looking for to book talent like yourself, and um, in the one of the chats I was having with in a previous. Episode: uh, The topic of um, interviewing a, someone from the incel community came up. Okay. So I've been looking through incel groups on Reddit, trying to locate um, and connect and invite someone you know with that viewpoint and that orientation and that identity on the show, so I can kind of pick their brain and and give them a platform to some degree to to, to spew that um nonsense in my opinion, albeit the you know the whole reason behind the Rex crim show I think is to contend with controversy and to instate democracy by you know I'd far rather provide a space and tolerate you know the cesspool nonsense that you see resulting from Reddit sub sub pages or however the lingo goes than be dictated to on what I can say or think or you know anything else so um but I was also for other reasons I'm, I'm just keenly interested I mean there was a big event that happened uh, in Toronto a couple of years ago in the name of incel for anyone that isn't what do you know about incel for anyone that doesn't know the term it refers to someone who's involuntarily celibate
1: yeah it's generally younger younger men who they believe they're celibate because women keep them there i think is a general general gist yeah. um you know it's it's not it's not by choice that they're not able to uh you know break cel- celibacy it's someone else causing them and generally it's a misogynistic heavy group I, I haven't really delved too far into research on things like that. Um, It's—I'm sure if I was going into school now, doing what I did, that might come up more. But um, at the time, I think it—I think it is one of those internet cultures that have definitely uh, expanded the idea of incels. Not that there haven't been people that have felt that way before and you can bring it back to the uh, mass murder in Montreal, the uh, Polytechnique shooting. Oh, was he also?
0: I, I'm thinking of the fellow well, who, his, who ro- ran down people in a rider van uh, on Yonge Street in Toronto. Well,
1: I, th- this, I do remember that one, but the guy who the uh, shot up all the women's classroom in, in Montreal in the early 90s, I believe it was, um, his whole reason for doing that was women were taking his position and all this sort of stuff, which I I feel is kind of like the same, same idea Mm -hmm. of if he was alive today, he probably would have been found on one of these incel boards.
0: Yeah. It's this, um, I mean, I guess I can empathize in a way, and that's another main tenant of this show is trying to empathize with others perspectives instead of shutting down and closing out perspectives that differ from my own. But I mean, I guess if I had that known that term some years ago, I would have myself. I, I I wouldn't have identified that way, but I would have. It would have resonated with me. I was a late bloomer in life. I didn't find the love of my life until you know just recently, a few years ago, and I was um, you know in a way very lonely up until that. So you know in in some alternative universe, I can relate uh, with the uh, insanity that I'm reading on these subreddits. But you know some. People have gone to the extreme and they're now taking it and informing it as their identity. You know, that's how they see themselves in the world. And it's sort of rife with, as you say, misogyny and gross sense of um, entitlement, you know, and um, sort of seeing themselves as a victim. And that's Mm -hmm. a large part, I think, related to cancel culture, which is, you know, the opposite of Sort of grabbing the bulls by the horn and pulling yourself up by the bootstraps, and you know, um, being the author of your own destiny. It's it's sort of cl- more closely related. Please disagree with me if I'm if I'm wrong, but it's more closely related to the idea of, um, you know, being being a victim. Am I wrong?
1: No, I don't think so. I think like a lot of it is. There definitely are the people who have experienced this similar things in terms of what they're generally trying to cancel a person for. You know, you always you always have the people who have the experience. They're often the first voices of talking about how we should. And usually it's a lot of people are going about it in a way that it's it's not bad. But I find a lot of times these things you get the internet mob mentality which like any mob in in human history in person, it all all it takes is a few bad actors to just incite the mob into something worse than, you know, something constructive, then it becomes destructive. And, you know, there's always those people out there who just want to watch the world burn, or see people get hurt. And, you know, if they're charismatic enough, they can often, all they have to do is start with a few people, and then it just swells to having more people who just go along with it, because they're in a mob, they're anonymous, and the internet's really good for that is you know, you could be, you're just a random person, but you can say the right thing at the right time and cause a lot of pain.
0: I should caveat, you know, what I said earlier with the fact that there's something also to be said about privilege and gratitude and acknowledging. I mean, I'm sure my critics would have to say that, you know, I'm, as I've mentioned before, I'm a a white, you know, successful heterosexual, you know, ideal of society. In, in a way, I mean, I'm begrudge me those things that are beyond my control, but you know, I, in a sense, I have to kind of say, well, it's easy for me to play devil's advocate. It's easy for me to say, well, all you gotta do is pull yourself up by the bootstraps because, um, indeed there are people who struggle with systemic barriers, low income, you know, I I mean, all all things that I haven't experienced. So I mean, I I have to get my own bias uh, out there and acknowledge that I truthfully, but, um, but I also think, you know, we're talking about two extremes of the same thing. I mean, on the one hand, you can see life as happening to you and, and internalize your orientation that way. Or you can, you know, view life as something that you make happen. And um, yeah, I wonder I wonder what your thoughts are on that.
1: Hmm. I, th- I think you kind of have to see it as both. and finding the right balance is is tough because there's always going to be things where you know and it does come down to privilege in a lot of cases where you can do everything right you know you can work hard you can do all your extracurriculars you can do all these all these extra things and you you know you're great on paper you go put your name in for a really good job and the person who you know their their dad plays golf with the person hiring who doesn't have as good of you know a resume as you do might get it sure so you know nepotism. so so there's a lot of things where you know you have to you have to go out and make your life happen. But then there is going to be stuff where the world, while not directly working against you, the world just works as it is. And you need to like, it's, there's just going to be times where it runs you over. Indeed.
0: I mean, for example, there's a lot of people hurting right now, clearly in the pandemic. I'm, I'm very fortunate just with the, you know, luck has it. um, But there's a lot of folks out of, out of work. And I think, um, I think you've been affected as well by the pandemic uh, care to enlighten us on, on your circumstances. So
1: Yeah. So my work was one of the first to shut down um, early on way before, probably two to three weeks before everything else started doing work from home, things like that. So I was laid off pretty early. And I mean, one of the nice privileges of work living and working in Canada is that we do have a strong employment insurance it's
0: and a robust a robust uh, level of social support certainly compared to our neighbors south of the border exactly
1: and you know also we have a healthcare system where if we happen to get sick from this pandemic we go in they treat us we walk out we're not you know signing off on a bill our, our taxes have paid for that so even for like, you know, for that could be a huge issue, a lot of people getting, you know, losing work and then having to go work at some of the few jobs that are open. And in a lot of cases, those are ones where you're actually going to be more at risk of contact contracting the disease, then that could really hurt a lot of people. But we luckily have if you get sick, you're not you know, going to go bankrupt like most people do in the States when they have to go to the hospital without crazy insurance
0: so are you comfortable talking specifically about what you were doing or your uh, the work that you were doing before the pandemic
1: i was the manager of a retail store for a professional sports team right on so not not a very uh, important place of work during uh, a global pandemic especially when sports for quite a long time were not even happening and even right now i you know i think it does help a lot of people have some normalcy, but it is a massive privilege for millionaires to be playing a sport.
0: It's also a, you know, a luxury of um, of a liberal sort of democracy and and first world nation that many people, I guess, in the in the world uh, would have little experience with, generally. Just to try to situate that in further context but so it's always a, a matter of looking at uh, you know it could be worse I mean I, I, oh, yeah. I, it could always be worse so how uh, do you care to elaborate at all about your experience dealing with the government and how they've supported um, you or shall we move on I'm, I'm kind of curious um about your experience going from EI and having to navigate the bureaucracy of the federal government
1: honestly uh it it was extremely easy. Uh, I think they, once this all started happening, they streamlined the process. Uh, I know uh, for a number of summers, I was working seasonal at a golf course, and a lot of the guys would do EI over the winter. And they would have to do so many more things to get onto it, you know, just to make sure people aren't taking advantage of the, of the system. But from the stuff they talked about to what I went through, I did it all online. Uh, my work quickly sent in papers saying I was laid off, all that sort of stuff, so I could start collecting. And I was I put in my info, which I don't think was all all that complicated. And then it's every every two weeks you go online, fill in a report, and then uh, you get your you get your money.
0: And, and other than keeping yourself at a safe distance from uh, from everyone else outside of your bubble, what uh, what does your day to day look like?
1: It's pretty uneventful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, That's honest. I mean, I miss I miss having work. I miss having you know a chunk of my day that is set aside for certain tasks, even if there's you know days you don't want to do what you did for work. It's at least there was a big chunk of time. You're not filling in with twiddling your thumbs.
0: You don't know what you've got till it's gone sometimes.
1: Yeah. And when you can't go outside or you can't go anywhere, you can't go do things that you normally would do to kill time. You end up just filling your days with, with fluff. Like I've luckily have two screens for my computer which is really nice. And I've run movies on them.
0: You've got a couple of social media accounts going at once uh, monitoring. No,
1: (laughs) no, I, uh, generally I'd either, you know, play a video game or just watch YouTube or something.
0: Are you, um, are you in the job market, like looking at, or uh, what are the stipulations of collecting the benefit at the moment?
1: Uh, you can work up to a certain number of hours per week, On EI, Um, I've been looking, but I'm generally not looking for those jobs that put me uh, in human contact. I do live with some people who are more at risk, so I don't really want to be the person who transfers sickness to people.
0: Of course, yeah, you do the responsible thing. And are you uh, hopeful? What are the prospects of returning uh, to your to your managing position for a for a major sports um, company.
1: Well, the jobs still there once the place can reopen, but I mean, who knows what's going to happen with the rollout for vaccinations here?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I I think I read a headline every day I go on Reddit that there's delays in vaccinations. So, and being a you know younger person, I'm not high on the list of you know people to be getting the vaccine so we'll see
0: you're just biding your time and uh waiting for your day to come and it will come i'm sure perhaps something good will come from this episode uh, on the rex crim show we'll we'll have to wait and see anybody interested in connecting with Tori uh can reach me i'll i'll link it in the show notes i set up the gmail account uh, so people can at least provide feedback rex crim show at gmail.com so if you want to get in touch with Tori and give him a job that's safe That's safe and, uh, and pays better than working for a major sports company than get in touch.
1: Which doesn't pay much.
0: Well, you got to sell yourself here. You got to yeah. sell it. But um, we, we, we've digressed. I was asking you about, um, I don't know how we got onto that tangent, but back to the idea of social media and, and your accounts. Is there a, any strategy that you sort of use in engaging with social media? Are you logged in on your accounts or do you use these you know, incognito functions or anonymous searching or what's your take on uh, how to protect yourself searching online and using social media?
1: Uh, I believe the term for people like me is uh, lurker. Usually mm-hmm. there are people online who only absorb content. They don't, they don't post content. And I think there's been studies done where it's like 90 something percent of people online don't, they only absorb content. They don't post anything their own. And then there's like six or 7% who every now and then post something. And then most people that post content consistently is only a very small percentage of people.
0: It reminds me of this podcast I'm referring to on the monk debate um, yesterday by, uh... Weiss, and she's talking about uh, how Twitter, I thought this was so interesting. I, it had never occurred to me before. She was explaining that, you know, vast majority of Americans and people in the world are not on Twitter, but those who do the most journalistic endeavors, um, you know, those who have the sort of biggest platform in terms of press and what she calls legacy media they're all on twitter and so they're all kind of in this bubble themselves as virtual echo chamber together where everyone thinks you know they have an idea of the world based on their perception from twitter but actually you know the rest of the world seems to be somewhat scratching their heads um
1: at least sorry you're I- uh, cutting in and out a bit oh really jesus yeah just uh just a couple of little lag spikes there yeah i
0: see i see but i
1: i did catch most of that but uh yeah that's i mean that's not
0: ideal i i see that the internet connection interrupted for a second let's hope it, it's stable uh, otherwise i'll get an ethernet cable but i was just saying her twitter is an ecosystem in itself and you know the people who are in media seem to be stuck in that echo chamber
1: yeah and i, I think that's goes back to what we were talking about earlier with the internet is that it is very easy to get trapped in a like a feedback loop of an echo chamber of your views you know which you can see with all the stuff that happened with our neighbors to the south on january the 6th when you go either way it usually you know it it's not going to just be slightly left or slightly right. It's usually going to go much closer to the farther ends for a lot of these things.
0: That's what that's what we mean by polarization I think when we're talking about that we're talking about this process where the medium is pushing um, you know political views further from the center.
1: Yeah and I think too it's becoming it's very apparent in the United States with their two-party system. it's you're either with us or against us. And it's not, it, it. there isn't the same level of back and forth that they used to have in politics. You know, now we have we have a mutual friend who lives in America. He was talking about when he voted that he had a, something like 30 different things he could vote for. And when you go through it on, on the list, there's often only two people, and one has a D, one has an R. So a lot of people don't look what the person's, you know, policies are or, or anything like that. They just check the one with the the letter that they prefer
0: back to the idea of identity politics
1: yeah it's it's a little different here because we have multiple parties but realistically we have two parties that change power all the time
0: it's funny because they're both represented by the colors red and white but the inverse is true in canada than the u.s Um, our conservative is blue and our liberal is red and I think the U.S. It's the other way around.
1: Yeah, the Democrats are blue. No, it's 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 kind of sad that we don't have a good discourse on on politics and possibilities of change.
0: On the on the contrary, I have a friend um, who was who was on the show recently in the Netherlands, Alex, and he sent me an article uh, showing how you know, Toronto seemed to be one of the true democracies left in the world. Interesting, I thought so too. You don't realize uh, it, you know, you got your goggles on where we're perhaps ourselves entitled as Canadians. Um, given the, the events that are unfolding, as you say in the U S and actually this idea of totalitarianism seems to be happening in many um, dictators seem to be creeping up in many countries around the world.
1: Well, I mean, totalitarianism and dictatorships it's, They're a cycle. Sadly, I mean, we can go back way too long to to see it. I mean, before they used to just be kings and emperors, and and there may be more of like a succession line. But you know, the twentieth century was you know hundred years of of war about all this sort of stuff that we're we're still feeling the effects of.
0: So, what does the twenty first century have in store? who knows pandemics uh, viruses um, in celibacy yeah <laughs> celibacy i guess involuntary celibacy yeah
1: yeah it's it's interesting I, I feel with the internet that the average person has more more connections to the average person say you know in russia mm-hmm. or you know the, the internet's great for that. I have some friends I play video games with that are all over the world. Mm-hmm. And so you're gonna have these people that, you know, they're they're your regular working class people or middle class or whatever. And they're all just like us. You know, you they're working to live and most most people are generally nice people. But we still see a lot of the world as divided by these lines you know country borders and things like that and we still have a lot of religious animosity and cultural and social animosity and uh, a lot of it there there's reasons for but i think the internet is slowly building us into one more larger global community Mm -hmm. but humans humans are going to be humans and there's going to be stuff that's going to cause strife.
0: I'm thinking of another podcast I was listening to, and it was someone they were talking about the idea of um, separating church and state. And uh, mm-hmm. they were in, they were talking about France as an example, and they were saying the difference you know, between this idea. I, I I'll butcher the uh, the French term, if I can recall it. Um, I don't even know how to pronounce it, but this um, ongoing set of politics about, you know, Islamophobia and, and concern um, in French culture and in Paris and events that have unfolded there. And they, anyway, I thought it was interesting. They were describing how in the U S they say there's a separation of church and state and it's really freedom of religion. You know, you can choose whichever religion you want, so to speak. Yeah. Whereas in France, the, the way that they interpret it is it's, you know, freedom from religion. And uh, they see being able to go into public space as, you know, having uh, having neutral neutrality or no, you know, no input. I mean, considering the dollar, the U.S. dollar says in God we trust. I don't know if God is religion per se, but
1: uh, well, you see my point. I do, which it's interesting. You bring up the in God we trust on on the dollar. And a lot of the religious aspects of the American government were only added into the, to a lot of their stuff in the fifties when there was the red scare, they saw the communists as this, you know, godless heathens who ever, they made sure everyone was afraid of them. So they brought in a lot of more religious iconography to their stuff to differentiate them from the communists. Mm Mm-hmm. So a lot of this stuff is is quite interesting that, um, you know, we might think it's been there forever, but it hasn't, you know, a lot of, a lot of these things that seem so important, they haven't been around that long and the reasons they've been brought in are, are things that don't, don't matter anymore.
0: Yeah. I mean, we're at a time, it would seem as though people have there's there's, unrest afoot and people have a serious sense of insecurity. And, and a large part of that is probably because the institutions that we're familiar with seem to be crumbling or failing. An example would be the recent second uh, attempt to impeaching the former president. I mentioned this before, and I don't mean to dead, beat a dead horse for anyone that has tuned into more than two seconds of one of these episodes on the Rex Crim show, but Ultimately, what I'm getting at is, you know, the U.S. Congress couldn't impeach him twice. And over so many weeks and months, Twitter turned him off overnight.
1: Yeah, so I think uh, I I mean, that is that is one of those topics that is so extremely complex because a a lot of people complain that Twitter not allowing Trump a platform is in, in the states a First Amendment, right? Their freedom of speech what a lot of people don't remember is that the first amendment is only freedom of speech cannot be silenced by the government a private entity which twitter is could if they wanted to and they have a term of service you know ban people if they wanted it
0: which, which everybody's read, you know, oh, yeah. kind of clicking that little button. Everyone's <laughs> yeah. taking the time. I mean, that the whole idea of consent is another thing that we can unpack. You know, just because you click the button, I mean, surely you understand and interpret those oodles of terms that change overnight.
1: Yeah. And that take about three weeks to read completely. So
0: <laughs> I didn't mean to interrupt you uh, because I think we were starting down a, uh, a rabbit hole that, that, that could be quite interesting. Um, help me unpack this idea of uh, we're sort of talking about secularism, but also, you know, trying to distinguish public sector and the private sector.
1: This to me, is one of those things where the internet is kind of a poorly understood concept for a lot of people especially people in in politics, you see a lot of this stuff where they try and institute certain certain controls on the internet and it's you could control certain aspects of it, but then it's it's not going to work as the system that it is. It is a free exchange of ideas for the most part. Um, and I think it's it's becoming one of those things that should be a, a basic human right at this point. Most people what should be the internet and access to it? And I think by putting it that way, it should also be labeled as a utility, and it should be the ability to access it should be a you know uh, regulated thing, controlled by a federal government with stro- hopefully strong, strong laws to prevent you know censorship and all sorts of stuff within reason, which for us in Canada isn't the Charter and rights of freedom. A lot of stuff is there are limits to how much you get in terms of your freedoms. There are points where you can't do anything that harms another person's or, you know, in a time of war or time of, you know, like a massive public health crisis, they're able to limit certain freedoms for a limited amount of time.
0: Although the, the catch 22, it would seem, you know, coming from a criminologist uh, such as myself is that these, encroachments of the state if you will just to just to you know play devil's advocate um never seem to go away i mean sure an emergency happens and crises come and go but um the the ever sense of encroachment uh, on the person's liberty i mean don't get me wrong um Tori, I think we're in agreement overall about the responsibility we have during a pandemic to one another's health. But um, do you do you see the do you, do you take my point um, that oh, yeah. you know there's a concern? Well, isn't the, that
1: the reason why we have a, a, a income tax? It was originally started as a war measure to collect right. collect more money, and it just never it was supposed to be gone at the end of the war and never did. Perfect example. Although, like at the same time. I understand the whole idea of an income tax and all the benefits we get in our socialist country, well, mostly socialist country, uh, is is wildly beneficial. And I think there are studies that show that, you know, it is a massive benefit, but not everyone cares to that degree.
0: Something you touched on about everybody having access to the internet as a human right, and, and we could go further and talk about, you know, digital privacy uh, retaining your own data you know as another example of 21st century human rights perhaps but it makes me think of um an- god i just am into all these podcasts and <laughs> it was another one i was listening to and uh, andrew yang was being interviewed if you're familiar this was a recent one uh Andrew Yang was recently running for U.S. uh, presidential election in 2018. He didn't make it very far, but he had some great
1: ideas. Do you know who I'm referring to? Yeah, he was uh, one of the Democratic candidates, wasn't he?
0: Yeah, he was. I thought he was. uh, I, I, I would have voted on that for him. Absolutely. If I had my green card. Uh, Or I don't know if that reference makes sense. Um, Anyway, I'm very happy to be in Canada. But to make a long story short, one of his arguments was the need for internet. And uh, anyway, he's running for mayor now in uh, New York City, the Big Apple. Oh yeah, and that was one of his um, examples of how to try to help provide support. I think
1: uh, yeah, I think I think the pandemic has definitely shown that uh, so much of our of our world relies on the internet and you know most people who are lucky enough to still have a job are you know working at home and the you know they need the internet for it and all the every time we send students home for you know trying to flatten the curve all that sort of stuff kids kids need the internet to be able to get the class stuff like that and education is extremely important and I think a lot of a lot of our issues come down to a lack of education.
0: Yeah. Um, well, I, elaborate what what you mean. Flat Earth. The flat Earth example. I think specifically, the Earth the Earth is flat, right?
1: No, we're uh, we're floating on a giant space. We're floating on a giant space turtle. We've got
0: to find some common area that we agree on, Tori. <laughs> the Earth is a sphere for anyone that is at all questioning it.
1: Yeah. I think there's there's always gonna be those those people who you're gonna you're gonna believe whatever you wanna believe. And I think education doesn't have to be specifically about specific things. Like it doesn't always have to be about, you know, who are all the powers in World War Two, who, you know, like who started these institutions or stuff like that. A lot of it can be come down to how do we teach people to think and think for themselves.
2: Hmm.
1: And I think, I think that is kind of lacking in a lot of ways. You know, people are going to all have dissenting opinions on stuff, but sometimes when you go onto things and someone's talking about a subject and you ask for proof and a lot of times they're just like, look it up yourself or they give you something, which is like, my proof is from um, like, I make stuff up.com or, you know, some, something that's like, it's not really a reputable source. And I think a lot of people just, and I've, I've fallen into the trap too of, of times when you're trying to make an argument and sometimes it's, it's really easy to grab something as, as proof without fully checking it out and realizing afterwards, you're like, that was, that realistically did more, more harm than good and trying to make my point.
0: I want to linger on this point for a second. I mean, you said it mob or sort of Lynch mentality, mob mentality, Lynch mentality. And it's, uh, it's so true, but I think there's something to be said about, you know, to go a step further. I mean, tribalism has been around well before the internet. I, I think people, I mean, the Hootsies and the Tutsis were killing each other, uh, Um, in a cultural genocide in um, when was that in the 80s or 90s
1: early 90s
0: yeah and you know religion um, forever is is responsible for a variety of types of violence and um, this idea of adopting and I'm guilty of it too I just said I'm I'm a criminologist I am you know or I think it's a being a criminologist I mean this idea of internalizing that which you are, you know, and, and belonging to a tribe, being red or white, um, in politics, um, you know, being an incel, saying, you know, th- these things, identifying yourself without the, you know, with such rigidity, without being amenable to, to be flexible and open to interpretation, and it would seem as though the internet has exasperated this to the extent now certainly more than ever during a pandemic is that you can't really go out and have a social interaction and um, and see what your regular, what your neighbor would would have to say. I mean, this is all happening behind closed doors internally in, in your own mind. And so an example, I think a perfect example would be having sat down with my mother recently and hearing some of the, um, to, you know, to use her own term, no doubt coming from a, a, um, I think, a a fairly reputable scholar out of the University of Toronto, Jordan Peterson, this idea of gender ideology and her, uh, you know, her sort of, dare I say, kind of whack take on the world, you know, clearly not informed by, with much experience firsthand, dealing with queer folks, but just, you know, having, and it's it's it it saddens me when I'm to dinner with my partner and my partner's family is kind of highlighting the the remarks that my mother, who I don't have on social media because I don't have social media, is 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 spewing and and sharing. And I think, my God, you know, this is and that's really a large part uh, the basis of starting this show, the Rex Crim show, and wanting to sit down and say, okay, well, let's try to find some common ground and uh, and find, you know, where we agree. And um, well, in your case, specifically, Tori, I guess I'm trying to find the area where we don't agree.
1: I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's a number of things where we'll probably have disagreements, but I think the one nice thing that we've always had in our our friendship is that we we've always been able to just talk about stuff and we, you know, We never really, never been attacking each other on any points of view or differences. We generally good at having an actual discussion on things. And I think we both, both kind of like the idea of playing devil's advocate at times. We're both good at not always believing, but being able to take a countering argument just to kind of throw extra things into the discussion and see where it can go. You know, we we all have our-
0: You're describing Empathy.
1: Yeah, there's empathy and there's also just being able to step back from who you are and what you believe in at times. You know, I think, like, I wish debate was taught more in school and how to properly do a debate where you're sometimes you're given a point of view which you don't believe in, but you have to come up with ways to, you know, get your point across. So you have to do, you might have to do a bit more research or you might just have to be able to look at a point of view differently than what you're used to. Because like, hopefully everyone is able to to make change. You know, and I think a lot of people get, and i similar in a lot of ways there, you get comfortable in certain situations and you don't want to change. You know, A lot, like even just things like uh, how you eat you know, there are a lot of better things for the environment if we, you know, cut out as much meat as possible, because that's one of the worst things for greenhouse gases. But, you know, I don't know how to cook a lot of vegetarian meals. So like for me, it's like, oh, I'd have to, I have to learn, I have to change up how I approach my diet to be more sustainable.
0: But how do you approach a conversation with someone that says, there's no, concern for greenhouse gases I mean where does this idea of um, what I've heard as post truth come into the conversation if I say well global warming isn't real and greenhouse gases um, and the rise of emissions are not of concern and therefore I'm only eat my steak how I wanna yeah
1: I'm it's it's tough because there are people that you're you're never going to be able to have a real discussion with you know some some people are going to be i'm right you're wrong nothing you can say will change that and the faster you can realize that you know you sometimes the the best thing you can do is to walk away because sometimes those people they just want to have those fights that that's something they enjoy but by you walking away, they lose that power. Isn't
0: this part of the issue, though? I mean, you, as you rightly pointed out, the, much of the problem with polarization is that you're only seeking to reaffirm your own view. And so, I mean, yes, you can have a conversation to a point, but at a certain point, you have to just agree to disagree, and, and that'll be that. Um, isn't that kind of the problem?
1: Yeah, it, it's... <sighs> Part of it is a lot of stuff is easier to do in person because you actually see, you know, emotions on people's faces. You see how they, they react to what you're saying online, especially depending on what sort of way you're going about it. You know, Twitter, Twitter, I find is, is just a hateful area. You know, you you have the people who are just doing facts and talking about sports or something like that. But then you look at the comments on some of the things and it's just, It's just like people attacking stuff that, you know, I, part of, part of the thing I hate about sports is just how angry people get about a game. They, they take it so personally and you look on Twitter and, you know, Hmm. there was a situation a number of years ago where uh, in a playoff hockey game, a player scored to put them through to the next round of playoffs player was black. And he got death threats and tons of racial comments thrown at him from the opposing team fans. And it's like, it's a game. He's a player and you're attacking him and racially attacking him because you lost. Like that's that's when you really need to step back and say, does this does this really affect your life? And that's and that's why I kinda hate the internet, because you get you get that stuff too. Or people people get death threats for just stupid stupid reasons.
0: But I think that the reasons are stupid to a bystander, perhaps, but to the per- to the individual attacking, it seems to be extremely meaningful. I mean, it's something that's entirely um, tied to their identity and their being, and that's. Part and parcel to why we're seeing movement from ideology, I think, to extremism.
1: Yeah, I I've, I find with Twitter because as a social media platform, it you get less to say, so what you have to say has to be a condensed down version, and it, it's not a it's not a place where you can have conversations with people because you have, I think now it was one hundred and forty characters or something, and now it's doubled, but even that is is nothing. You get like a small snippet of. Of something so you can't you can't build a long thought out piece so it's a lot easier for people to just say inflammatory comments
0: that's why you have to leave it to the podcast
1: yeah but then you have to have people that are willing to sit down and listen to a podcast
0: yes and the issue i guess is that you're only going to find people who are interested in the topic willing to listen the whole way through yeah so you know that they're going to be a faithful um audience but they're not you know necessarily the people that you need to be reaching
1: yeah and it's it goes back into the the whole echo chamber idea you know you create a podcast that you know group a loves and group b hates group b's never going to listen to it group a is going to still continue listening to it and they're going to get you know how what they want out of it and not a lot of people go for dissenting opinions and it's it's tough you don't see a ton of a ton of groups really doing it well, where, you know, you have a good dissenting discussion. Like I, I like the show um, real time with Maher because he brings on generally three guests and it's usually like a, a Republican, a Democrat, and maybe someone in the middle or just someone who may or may not have really any connection to either side. And he's he's kind of a dink himself but generally he lets the conversation go and they're less snarky or at least when i watched it, it wasn't that bad versus other shows i've i've seen and seen bits of where usually it's just oh we'll bring on a person from the other side and then we'll just yell at them and cut their mic and
0: you know. you're know. not referring to bill, o- bill o'reilly for example
1: um, i wasn't going to name any names but
0: is, is, it a, is that a fitting example of cancel culture, I wonder, a,
1: a case? Well, I think that's just criminal activity in Bill O'Reilly's case. You know, I th- I think he could have been canceled a lot earlier, but I don't think his base, they're not the type of people who are going to care about cancel culture. You know, if, if they're going to listen to a guy, you know, spew hate, it's... It,
0: they're going to ju- justify his misconduct. Yeah.
1: And, and I think that's part of the like the tribalism, the us versus them mentality of, you know, they're like, oh, we're getting those guys because they're getting so angry about what he's saying. And that is a better thing to them than the fact that like he treats women like shit.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I mean, uh, Rush Limbaugh just died and he was he was one of those right wing hate mongering. He used to play like happy music and talk about all the people who died of AIDS on his show. And, you know, it,
0: I'm not as familiar with his work.
1: Like, well, with social media, you hear a lot of different stories of people talking about the stuff and, you know, he, he seems like a, he seemed like a horrible person. And I never listened to his stuff. He, you know, it was a radio show in the States, not, not anything I would ever listen to, but I'm thinking, you know, would would cancel culture have helped to some degree but is is cancel culture in a situation like that where you deplatform someone who's you know pushing the limits of you know spewing hateful rhetoric rhetoric uh, is that is that the type of thing that you want to happen or do you go after a person who 20 years ago dropped a a, like a homophobic well, slur.
0: I'm glad that you brought that up. You know, indeed we started out t- touching on uh, we're going about just over an hour. How are you doing? Um you don't need a break or uh good. or anything? I I'm um good. good, neither do I. I can go all night. I um I'm thinking of, you know, trying to graduate the the you know, trying to i guess make sense of what it is that we're even talking about when we say cancel culture we're sort of talking around an issue and i'm not entirely sure i even know how to define it
1: yeah it's i i can't really define it either mostly because it's for the most part to me something that happens mostly in the entertainment industry and
0: or in politics as well i think as you said
1: politics to some degree but we've also seen a ton of just terrible Political things that the people still keep getting reelected.
0: Yeah, this is
1: you know we our our prime minister has a lot of skeletons in his closet, and they've come out, and you know people still keep voting them in. And I think I think that's part of the issue. Has is he made it
0: in with Did cancel he culture? It in a second term.
1: Well, he he's there. Um, the minority leader party. We're so talking,
0: we're we're talking about the pri- the uh, prime minister right now. Yeah. Justin Trudeau
1: yeah so that his party ended up getting the uh they have the most seats but not enough to form a majority so they're the minority party in charge
0: right yeah there's been there's been uh is it worth touching on the controversy involving the prime minister and the uh, finance minister recently and all this we scandal and um how familiar are you with the skeletons
1: uh, not a ton with some of the scandals like I know the 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 blackface or the brown face one um, you know and then he's had scandals with these charities and who knows who knows what else yeah um, I think it's. I
0: think it's it's just before um, it's just be still I, I guess under the uh, commission it's being investigated so you know I don't really know much either than what I've heard in the news. But there's something to be said here about living in a time when you don't need to be proven guilty anymore. It seems to be just a mere allegation. Yeah. And that's related to cancel culture somehow.
1: The the court of public opinion.
0: Indeed.
2: Indeed.
1: Which, which is why I think to me it's like you see it most happen in entertainment where because they're so reliant on fans if you know actor a does something that all of a sudden you know everyone's up in arm against for them it's easier to get rid of them hire someone new and then people are not going to boycott you know their entertainment and that's that's how they make tons of money versus something like politics it's tough because something can come out and then it's like, what do you do about that? Unless they resign. I don't think a lot of areas, like municipalities and stuff, have like a recall election idea where if enough people in the writer like in the writing can vote to have them, you know, taken away from their position of power. If we don't have things like that, a lot of people's, you know memories aren't that long and you have four years between elections or five, depending on how it's going generally that, you know, we might forget that, you know, this person did something bad and do you vote them in or, or do people then go, it's like, but I want to get rid of them, but I don't really want the other side to come in to power. So like, I'm still going to vote that way. So how cuz do... cuz sorry go ahead.
0: No no I'm sorry I'm interrupting you.
1: Well it's just you talked earlier about how you about democracy. Right? And it's interesting to me that like the way our democracy works is we vote, you know, for our member of parliament and they're generally part of a party. But unless you sign up to be part of a party and you know, unless you actually become a liberal and not just a registered voter, you don't actually get to say who is the leader of said party. And then even when you vote someone in, you know, we give them our representation, but you know, they don't always represent the writing especially if right now with party politics is sometimes they just have to vote a certain way to maintain their position in a party, even if it goes against what their constituency wants.
0: And again, back to the, I, I, well, yeah, I mean, that's relevant. Certainly in the Republican party in the US, it would seem there's a lot of identity crisis at the moment. It's not exactly seen as a a, um, cohesive group. I guess there's some dissension among the ranks there. But indeed, the the reaffirming of what people want to hear, or what you might call popularism, and those sort of populist politics, where you've got individuals up in front of the crowd saying things that they think want to be heard, as opposed to you know, true problem solvers, I'm, I'm sort of paraphrasing what I heard recently by Andrew Yang, you know, these entrepreneurial folk who, who have um, legitimate suggestions on how to, how to get things improved, you know, radical ideas that, uh, that are worth trying, I think, you know, since we have, if we do have a democracy, then we have the freedom to, to, to try them out, I guess. I'm rambling again.
1: Yeah, I think one of the one of the most interesting things I saw during the pandemic so far is uh, AOC, uh, Alexandra octavia cortez the uh, uh, New York senator or congresswoman. I forget her actual title. She did like an online game with Jagmeet Singh of the NDP party of Canada, and then they had a bunch of uh, mostly youtubers or twitch twitch people uh some of them were like they did political news some were just gamers and you know because they're playing a game they want to have some interesting concept or people and dissenting opinions or at least people that aren't going to ask the same type of questions a like someone who follows politics will which is often a good thing when you get someone asking a question that just in a different way that you have to think about but both politicians consider themselves progressives and for aoc you know in the states she's a democrat but there's a large democratic portion that there may be center center left whereas she's left you know and i think that's the same in canada as like the, the liberals are kind of center maybe a bit center right but then when you have a left voting block it's split between three parties in canada where in the states you only have two but you have to you know put the democrat next to your name to have a chance so they have a group in the democratic convention that is like progressives but they get a lot of flack even internally because a lot of people don't want to see the status quo change even if a lot of these progressive ideals ends up helping everyone to further degrees and especially in the states when they don't have something like a socialized healthcare system people really get hurt you know versus like in ours, as we talked about earlier, you're, you know, going to the hospital, isn't something that's going to give you, you know, anxiety in terms of what you're going to be spending. And our progressives want to expand that care into other things like dental and eye, eye care, because, you know, it's expensive. It's,
0: it's not, it, your point is taken and um, your, your, your finger is right on the pulse per usual. I have a, an upcoming, um, chat with a friend of mine who works in the healthcare system and uh, you know, we are fortunate as Canadians indeed, although it's not without its, its own issues. I mean, the bureaucracy, uh, my partner's uh, in healthcare as well. And she describes just an abundance of uh, waste, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And just, you know, excess uh, things that that could be far better organized if they were privatized.
1: I think they're, I think the idea, though, of like a privatized healthcare system then becomes
0: problematic, to they, say the
1: least. They're there to make they're there to make money, and I don't think healthcare should should be about that. You know, it's healthcare is about getting people healthy and not trying to nickel and dime everything. Like you look at some of the the bills people get in the states, where it's like, you know, fifty dollars or hundred dollars for like a tablet of Advil or something when they go into an emergency room. You know, or they, they leave, they had they have a child and that's two hundred thousand dollars to have a kid in the hospital. Like I think a lot of times we get stuck on this idea of, of making money and profitability that in a lot of a lot of areas it it really shouldn't be the focus.
0: No, but we are living in a time when capitalism seems to reign.
1: I mean, yes it's, it's tough that it's part of our, I guess, like cultural identity of, you know, capitalism and stuff like that. But a lot of a lot of countries have done kind of what we do, but even take it further. And they're doing quite well. Like you, you look at the Scandinavian countries, and they have even higher tax rates than us. But you know, they they're doing extremely well. So it's, it's a balance. And I think Canada's kind of in that interesting position of we absorb so much American culture, like most of our stuff is we watch American TV and movies and things like that, where you talk to a lot of people, and they forget that the stuff they learn about America is not what Canada does. And we just see we see what they do. And sometimes we, we forget what we do.
0: I didn't realize until I had traveled abroad a little bit in my past um, you know how distinct Canadian Canadas seen I mean specifically I'm interested in in referring uh, to prisons here you know that's my uh, interest studying prisons and um, and you know speaking of Scandinavian countries I, I would absolutely love to see the state of affairs in Norway I think um, well from what I've read you know it's it's world. Second to none, it's world class. If I was going to prison anywhere, I would, the first place I'd want to go to prison would be Norway. The last place would probably be potentially the United States or you know, any uh country, many of the countries in Latin Latin America or other parts of the world, I'm sure. But that's, that's off of top.
1: dictatorships. Yeah,
0: indeed. I mean, there's other places I could mention, but um but back to the the point at hand, um I'm thinking of a uh of a book I read by um, co-authored by Greg Elmer called "Preempting Dissent," and I guess that was uh, inspired by the G Twenty summit in Toronto that happened in I think it was two thousand and eight. But um, my question is, how does one go about? I mean, that that example that I'm referring to is a case where you know democratic there was a demonstration of democratic democratic liberty, which was, you know, to be able to protest what went mm-hmm. on, what went on there. And, um, you know, now you and I are talking a little bit about the, 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 well, the cancel culture and the, the, the life, how life is increasingly lived through social media and the individual choices that we have to make, I think, in engaging with, material you know maybe consciously trying to not reaffirm our view so how does one go about finding dissenting opinions
1: i guess the idea would be to find programs that give you multiple points of view so you know i think things like cbc or npr put out a lot of programs where they're going to give you these more uh nuanced point of views and usually it's less uh you know less firebrands on the thing it's it's people just talking and giving you that idea you know a lot of shows do attempt to give you different point of views but sometimes they do it with people that you're like oh that's like that's that's not a different point of view that's just someone who's crazy or or purposely trying to incite violence Mm -hmm. or hatred or something so it, it it's tough because you know most most people are comfortable with who they are or what they are and I I would think so like is that true I don't I don't see it
0: I don't know I don't know man I I meet a lot of insecure people
1: yeah there's there's always going to be people who are insecure or highly you know anxious everyone's going has their own things you know Sure. And
0: but I mean like you and I are sitting down, having a conversation, more or less I think we're agreeing on everything. So it kind of it might be boring to people that are (laughs) tuning in. I I doubt it though, listening to this.
1: I don't know. It's just you you have to you have to go looking for something different. You know. Like I was talking to my father about But how? But how? it can be through social media of you know having people that post things of like here's podcasts to look at here's books to read um there's there's tons of resources online where you can go you know even just things like goodreads where here's the most popular books people are reading and you can go on and say okay i'm gonna i'm gonna read this book um that, but isn't
0: that based on, on recommendations, which is exactly the same problem of having a feedback
1: loop? It can. Part of it is though, it's like, sometimes you need to just at least get more information. That's still, you know, being able to have, you know, 50 or hundred different sources for what you believe in can be much better than just having one. Sure.
0: I mean, Wikipedia works, and I've used it in papers before. It's not my only source. No,
1: it's a good starting point. But it has a
0: function. It has a function. Absolutely. So First place I like to go is Wikipedia, and then scroll to
1: the reference page. Exactly. And if it's done well, you actually get the primary sources or secondary sources, which then you can go find primary sources for. Um, Finding information is a skill in, in itself, which...
0: I guess we're talking about the same thing, though, of, of seeking out opinions and um, ones that, I guess, are different from your own.
1: Yeah. Like, I, sadly, not right now, play play sports. And generally, after sports, we go to a pub, you know, and then it's a bunch of people of different different jobs, different... I mean, here, it's still mostly people who are white we have a, a few people of color who play so you get different different at can least perspectives clarify,
0: can you clarify where where am i geographically whereabouts am i speaking to you in the world or ottawa or what is your address <laughs> right. the nation's capital yes.
1: it's like i live under the parliament building no but uh yeah right so you know ottawa is the capital it's
0: the demographic there
1: is demographic. I'd still say is mostly white. Um, it it does have a uh, growing, you know, population of, of people of different ethnicities and backgrounds. Um, mm-hmm. Part of it too. It's part of it. It's...
0: Primarily, primarily French speaking, or.
1: Um, I don't know. It's it has a it has a very it has a big I'm being slightly facetious. It does have a big uh French speaking population. And I think a lot of people, because it is a big government town, most people require to speak both languages and French preferred. But
0: plus uh, it is right on the border yes. is exactly generally you know, I, I lived I lived in Quebec and commuted yeah. into Ottawa for work I think, when I was living. I here.
1: think a lot of people would uh include Gatineau, Hull, like the Quebec surrounding area of Ottawa as Ottawa but I don't know if the French living in that region would to the same degree right but that's also a cultural identity issue that goes back quite a while
0: a, a, a cultural cancellation
1: so to speak yeah so
0: I uh, earlier you were going to tell me something about a conversation you're having with you and your dad
1: so it was yeah so we were talking about just history, and I think it was stuff related to maybe World War One or World War II because we had been talking about a movie we had seen that you know, brought these topics up. And for him, he was saying about how back in his time, the way history was taught, he got none of the nuance about anything. And he's all he'd talk about how the stuff I would bring up was so different from his, That it wasn't just like, oh, you know, America joined World War II after Pearl Harbor, and then they went and kicked the Japanese and German butts. It's like, he's he's like, I saw stuff that was these shows like Combat, which wasn't any sort of representation of anything going on. So he just thought it's like, it's very interesting, all the stuff you can learn now and how you gather information now. Which, and I think for us, is going to continue to change as well. Like, we grew up... And expand. Early internet days, right? Yeah. Like, we grew up as the internet was growing. So we've gone through so many iterations of having to go through, I don't know, like, insert the Encarta disk or the Encyclopedia Britannica disk to be able to, like, find something to... Now we have Wikipedia, and it's, like, a crowdsourced information page but you can find so much detail about. man stuff. do
0: you remember getting internet for the first time and plugging in like i remember the old phone jack you get the dsl and i, I wasn't yep. even all that keen on it it was my older brother who was um i don't know adamant to my folks about getting onto like msn messenger because that was all or no it was icq in ICQ.
1: Games yep yeah
0: and and we got on so, and and, yeah. and i was like well what is it you know what's so great about this thing and he's <laughs> like you can do anything on it he's like here you can what's your favorite song you can download this song and he's like there there we found it and it's just going to take 35 minutes to download this one song
1: <laughs> or it's like i wanted to download a picture for a, a school program on like dogs so i Searched an image of a dog. It will take ten minutes to to get, and it looks yeah. horrible.
0: <laughs> I was chatting with uh, with our yeah. mutual friend on a uh, well. Greg was on the show, and uh, so I can I can drop his name. He was the one that nominated you actually to be on. Although you were, I had you uh, on my mind um, since our recent hangout with our American friend. Maybe he'll be invited next.
1: But we. Th- I think he would be a good person to have. He
0: would. He'd be a good insider into a major tech company. Mm-hmm. and um so anyway uh we got i i believe this was in an episode or maybe it was a personal conversation i hope anyway I'm, i hope i'm not outing greg we'll have to see but uh <laughs> both him and i got to talking about porn for example and i think oh, yeah. the early days like having to um having to like you know download source it download it burn it onto a dvd you know it's uh it's a different state of affairs these days being able to stream
1: well, I hear it often enough in in podcasts and like YouTube videos of people that are kind of our our age and slightly older is the idea of finding something out in the woods like a a, a magazine or something like that or you, things and that was like a way people discovered like pornography.
0: That was that happened to me. I have a distinct oh, yeah. I have a distinct recollection of finding a a nudie magazine i was like all of eight years old or something and of course i was enamored and enthralled with what i had found in this in the bushes with the pages open and i had been walking with my younger brother and my grandmother at the time and, oh. and my instinct said go immediately and 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 lo- learn more and uh, of course grandma cautiously uh you know instructed me not to touch it she was rightly concerned
1: yeah you don't know where those pages have been
0: (laughs) yeah although there there was limits at least there was only so many pages in that magazine um and i often for a lot of years i kind of regretted not going back and actually i think i did go back and by the time i was back with my friend uh to find it it had been snatched up yeah and, and taken away pun intended so um not to be rude but you know it is uh It is going to likely be a late show. Carrying on, where were we? So the idea of porn and uh, one of the things I I have in my mind is um, outrage porn, it would seem. You know, we're living in a time when people seem to be scrolling through. Well, not only do people seem to have a keen interest in looking at things that outrage them and and seeking out, you know, things that outrage them, but um, actually, if you look at, the algorithm that is designed to engage you in uh, pretty well across the platforms, but Facebook certainly a major culprit of this, it seems to be done in a way that it's meant to provoke you. I mean, it's not going to show you things. It's not just cats and uh, dogs and fun puppy videos and that sort of thing. It's, it's things that are meant to cause for you a sense of not a positive emotion, but a negative one, because that's what sort of engage. So it turns out the algorithm learned, that's what engages you more. That's what causes you to stay on longer.
1: Well, that's, that's the thing, right? They're, they're a business. And I hear this often enough. If you use something and you do not pay for it, you are the product. You're what's getting sold. So when you, you go onto Facebook or Google or whatever, they, they want to adjust your habits to become something that they can profit off of.
0: What is your preferred internet search method?
1: Google. I mean, it's the easiest. Should I switch to something like DuckDuckGo, which has more you know, privacy concerns? Probably. Um, but
0: do you, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I talked to, about, I think with Greg about the same thing as well. I mean, I love that when I want to make a purchase or log in and my password's remembered and, you know, I have to, you know, the convenience factor is, is, is there, but of course there's always the trade-off with convenience and, uh, I guess privacy or security.
1: Yeah. I think we've seen some steps forward in the idea of, uh, digital privacy, uh, especially out of Europe with the GDPR, I believe it's called. Um, which is, is it was, uh, legislation that the EU put across that, uh, anyone in the EU can request their data that's stored to be deleted. Um, and also just kind of limits, The data that companies can take so when it came out you saw a lot more websites change their uh, privacy policy and user license agreements the eu las so a lot of them came out with new things of like here's here's the stuff we track because it's easier to just do a blanket one where in europe they're better protected because in you know north america where most of these companies are based they spend enough money to prevent people from you know adjusting these laws to be you know protect the consumer versus you know benefit the big business they tend to be a little bit more
0: social in that way
1: yeah and that's that's what i kind of see where the internet would be benefited from being a much like more regulated or at least like utility based thing where we might have a lot more of those protections built in from corporations, but that doesn't make money, and money, you know, plays a huge factor in politics. Mm-hmm. So you need you need to see a much bigger, um, you know, consumer impact for that sort of thing to happen, which you see more in Europe because they generally do have a bit more liberal policies and policymakers. So you seem
0: to be a little bit more informed, um, on this idea. I mean, I, I know what you're referring to, but I've never really read much up on the idea of end user license agreements.
1: Well, those are the, those are the things you click I've read and accept. So of course, and I, th- I think in Europe, they also pass that, um, by clicking that is not an actual, um, accepting because these things are so long and uh pretty their lawyers speak so for most people it's uh something that they're not gonna understand to the full degree
0: to be clear when you're on when you're on google are you logged in under your
1: account yes
0: yeah and your account is your full name (laughs) Um, I mean, I'm guilty of the same thing. I have my full name, middle initial, last name, um, out there and I'm logged in and my bank information. And I mean, I didn't realize, um, how sort of transparent my data was, at least to Google, um, until I went in, have you ever gone in and looked at your preferences, Uh, my activity?
1: Yeah. Some of it's scary. Although some of it, sometimes you look at it, I went on recently, there was a, a post on Reddit talking about you could see your like ad preferences of the stuff they put towards you. And mine were just like, oh, that's interesting. But I also generally use ad blocks, stuff like that. Um, so it does kind of prevent uh, the full court press the companies do of what they're trying to like push on me.
0: Are you going to plug any particular ad blocker?
1: I use uBlock Origin. It is fantastic.
0: Do you you pay for that?
1: Nope.
0: Do you use any other security feature, like any of the other privacy walls?
1: Uh, I have a VPN through Mozilla that that I pay for. Um, They're, as a company, they're pushing more in towards the, uh, you know, user security type stuff um
0: i like that you brought that up i, I recently uh, also invested in a vpn and i use one and um i like it especially to be able to access content specifically like looking at pbs stuff in the u.s and um that, that yeah. it has geo geo locations on
1: i think if if you're going to use your vpn for that sort of stuff you have to look at what it does um like the vpn i got which i might end up changing for this reason it's not a vpn design for getting around content gates right. it's it's more just for your uh your data protection
0: within that particular browser probably do you use the uh, mozilla as your preferred browser Yes. as opposed to chrome
1: as opposed to chrome yes I just and find the user interface easier for me to, when do you, to move.
0: When when would you find yourself flipping to the equivalent of incognito on Mozilla? Do you do that very often? Not really, no. Cuz you're kind of happy with a, a permanent record of
1: Well, the thing in is all of your history? In, incognito only really prevents you from going back to the like it remembering the site you went to. It doesn't prevent the internet provider from knowing the site you went to which is what a vpn is supposed to help protect you against so yeah incognito mode for a lot of things would just be uh you just it's no longer in your history search bar
0: right well i don't know why i, I mean digital security is uh, something i'm keenly interested in but I've, I've already rehashed this and greg that was a main topic of, of when when i was chatting with greg but um I guess it's germane to our conversation because it has to do with sort of tackling or shall we say cancel culture is a symptom of, you know, what, what we're talking about, which is an increasingly um, permeating algorithm into one's daily life. And, you know, that's responsible for much, I think of the polarization that's going on and, and back to the idea of what cancel culture is, I, I don't think we've even agreed yet. I'm sure there's people that have a better working definition than we do. But, but to your point earlier about uh, Bill O'Reilly, or maybe we can think of any other examples in popular culture. It, it's never, you know, your own base that's seeking you out. It seems to be the other, the other base, you know. So, in if Bill was red, then it's the blues who are uh, calling for his for his um you see what i'm saying
1: yeah i do and i think that's it there is going to be that where it's
0: like it's not a level of accountability is what i'm trying to say it's a matter of like pointing the finger at at the you know at the other as opposed to taking a, a strong look at oneself
1: yeah and i i think some of that comes down to uh what certain people are willing to let others get away with which can be a problem um I don't want to I don't want to really generalize but in the last four years of of the American government they had a person who was wildly misogynistic and pretty racist and stuff and a lot of people just let him get away with it you know and
0: you're talking about the most see, recent uh
1: the most recent uh president who just
0: finished their term
1: he, yes
0: you shall also remain nameless
1: yeah you know and when you let when you let that permeate and like stay around for a consistent amount of time and not not attempt to at least be like can can we stop like attacking everyone? You know, it's, it's sad when we let people get away with this stuff and would, would one side, if it was the other also agree, like, you know, what, if it was a democratic president who was as sexist and racist, would they look to try and get him to step down? Maybe, I don't know. We haven't, we haven't seen that position.
0: So what do you say to bring it back home? Like in the, I've done things, no doubt in my past that people could dredge up that, you know, I have, um, you know, I have wronged, you know, and I, I, as I said with my other friend uh, on another episode, you know, he was saying basically it's something that, you know, it sits with you, you know, if you, if you do wrong and you have a moral compass, then, uh, you know, remorse is a real thing, but, but what you and I are talking about is something a little bit beyond that. It's about, you know, uh, calling for and demanding ostracization, punishment, demonization, all these negative um, sorts of things that don't put us in a situation to move forward and to find, you know, forgiveness and tolerance, I think.
1: So are you just, you cut out there at the last oh
0: jesus jesus Uh, something's gonna have to be improved i wonder uh what's your internet (sighs) is it bad now still
1: Uh, it's fiber but if are you it's also
0: are you ethernet or Uh, are you wireless
1: i'm i'm wireless on this
0: i'm torn i think i am too but but i um anyway that's frustrating but i'm gonna be editing through so we'll make most sense of it i forget my earlier point now but it'll it'll come back to us. I think the point is just that cancel culture does not seem to be fostering a sense of well-being and it does not seem to be providing putting us in a situation where we're setting ourselves up to move forward in a healthy way. It's calling for things like punishment, demonization, ostracization, these sorts of things.
1: Yeah, I I like to compare cancel culture to a internet lynch mob where it's It's not really reasoned out. It's uh, an emotional, quick response, usually, you know, leading to something really bad. And, you know, part of it is people don't can't give time for like an actual court system to work through or in a lot of cases, um, the the court system is, has shown it's not good at dealing with these sort of things. Like we had a number of years ago, a CBC host who came out with a lot of uh, sexual misconduct with women. And he was rightly fired and court of public opinion, the way it went about.
0: You're talking about Gomeshi.
1: Yes. He was acquitted. Yeah. Because the, his, the people that were bringing the case against him worked together, which caused all evidence to be thrown out. Mm. So it was one of those things where it's just like, because he even admitted and showed proof to his bosses of some of the stuff he did, but then the way the court case works, uh, you know, they they probably had a good strong case against him, but the way they went about it caused them to, uh, you know, ruin the evidence or tamper the evidence because they corroborated each other's stories beforehand instead of in court.
0: Interesting. Yeah. I'm just looking up quickly. Um, CBC fires Gomeshi over a sex allegation, but I I wonder what would be the most reputable source, I guess, Wikipedia to, to link to the show notes. What do you recommend in terms of uh, people who might want to read up on that case?
1: I'm sure Wikipedia probably has most of it set but part of that, to my point, though, is, and you might have a better understanding on the numbers, is that what is, like, how many actual, you know, sexual assault type cases go to court and how many actually, you know, what what do they generally result in? Like, I, I've heard maybe, it's, maybe it was uh, something related to the states, but, you know, sexual assault cases generally don't go to court. And generally they're not, they're not prosecuted to the full extent that it protects the victims.
0: I, uh, I think I should reserve, you know, my uh, perspective simply because, I mean, I was in a seminar and it was a presentation um, that was having to do with this exact thing.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: and it, there were statistics reported by Toronto police um, for this Particular presentation that I happen to be uh, sitting in, and I, being the critical thinker that I am, and the you know cultural criminologist at heart, uh, can't help but problematize. You know, obviously there's there's a narrative being built. You know, on account of the agenda being put forward, who's authoring the presentation, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. So I, I I had to be I was a skeptic. You know, I'm skeptical. Uh, and i always want more context to make sense of it as you said earlier nuance you know and i love yeah. that minutiae so but i don't know i think my opinion seems to be biased because i am sort of an agent of the criminal justice system and i um you know i see so many such cases and um generally speaking i think there's just a real issue i mean you know, basic tenant of, this is a really important topic, actually. I'm glad you brought it up and this should be the basis of another episode in itself, but a major tenant of democracy, you know, is that we would far rather see one guilty man go innocent than have, you
1: know, 100 innocent is, go guilty. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The other way around. Um, so in the, in that case, if, you know, Gomeshi is guilty, even by public opinion, and he's not criminally prosecuted. I mean, I don't know, I, I I'm not as familiar with that case. And 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 I should be, bef- you know, to provide any substantial comment on it. Um, but the problem, in my opinion, being close and upfront with uh, the way criminal justice seems to be working, at least in Canada, is that vast, vast, vast majority, I think upwards of 90 percent of cases are not found guilty through any trial it's the result of a plea deal yeah and um so rather what i'm seeing as you're pointing to is is a corrupt system somewhat of um you know less about less focused on placing justice at the hands of those closely involved and more in the process and and the bureaucracy of it all so you know Charges tend to get trumped up, so that a sweetheart deal that you can't refuse is offered, and uh, and so on and so forth. So there's there's problems to be had, um, and you know, sexual assaults and offenses involving sex crimes are topical at the moment. Also, my eyes have been opened up recently to the idea of domestic violence, which is rampant as well uh i I didn't realize fortunately wasn't something that i experienced growing up but but it's a real issue and there's a lot of um people that are playing the system yeah i i can go on and on for hours so it'll have to be the basis of another episode maybe when i'm uh back in school and i can speak more freely i'm confined uh by certain social structures in play as you can as you can appreciate as we all are But I guess what I'm trying to say is that, um, you know, justice is uh, very closely tied to truth. And you and I, I think, are trying to get to the bottom of understanding a culture which is less concerned with truth and objectivity and more concerned with um, proving the other wrong.
1: Yeah. And I I see a lot where there's two cases... In the states that um two men who got charged with uh sexual assaults in the public Mm -hmm. sphere bill cosby and um r kelly Mm
2: -hmm.
1: you know and part of it if you look through it's like these were i guess you'd say like open secrets in a lot of stuff and even like the old the me too movement with uh weinstein a lot of this stuff was you know stuff that you'd hope the criminal justice system would deal with and would would happen but a lot of times it doesn't
0: i'm so glad and, you, you know said a, that. Lot,
1: a lot of people fall through the cracks especially when you're you're talking about people that are in a public in the public view and often seen you know i'm sure like bill cosby was seen as a father figure to a large portion of people, you know? So a lot of people are shocked that he, you know, he's sexual criminal.
0: Well, care- careful, careful, I must say, you know, I, I'll interject there for a second, because uh, one of the things that I noticed about the criminal justice system is that it um, tends to type typecast or it puts people into these categories and it ties into this very idea of identity politics. Um, you know, calling it's very different to use the language and refer to someone as a sexual offender as opposed to someone who is sexually offended. So I pose the question, you know, um, back to you in, in in theme with the this conversation on cancel culture. I mean, is it not something that ever concerns you that 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 an allegation be made against you that you're, you know, a bigot or a racist or or predator?
1: Yeah, I think you can always have it on your mind that there are situations you can be in that can be dangerous. Um, You know, and I'm not in that situation anymore, but, you know, back in, like, university, you never really wanted to, you know, take a chance on, you know, taking someone back to your room while you were drunk. And the next day, someone being like, oh, I didn't want to do that. Even if, like you know, the night before it was fine. It's, um,
0: it's this idea of like finding love in a world that's premised on risk.
1: Yeah. So I think, you know, there are there are situations which can be very damaging. Um, and I think most people generally try and put themselves in situations where you're not a high risk for stuff like, but you can't you can't control everything. You know, mm. there could just be some random person on the street someday just could come at me and start calling me out on stuff and passerbys with just might be like, he probably is like a bigot or something, who knows, but I don't know that person. I've never seen them before.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it's you, you only can control what you can control.
0: Yeah. Focus on the things that you can control and, um, you know, accept the things that you can't So they say in in AA anyway.
1: And also just don't do criminal activity.
0: Well, I I think that's a little bit um, more easily said than done. And uh, we could problematize that all day. I mean, especially when criminalizing one's past, you know, is is pertinent to this conversation. But we, we, we can go on and on. And I'm mindful that I'm eating into your time. But you did say something that resonates with me. And I think I'll title this episode that, you know, I like that term a lot. You you use the term open secrets. And in a way it's, I think everyone can sort of acknowledge um, much of, of what that means. I mean, there's something happening. And what we've tried to do, I guess, in this chat is put your finger on it and just describe, you know, just describe the, uh, the, the climate around us and the way things are going.
1: Yeah. I think, I think like leading back to like cancel culture is just that it only really works on, on certain levels. And, and that's
0: one, ex- one, one example that occurred to me, I was having a very similar chat with my friend and we, and the, I, the, the, name Bill Cosby came up, actually, it's been a reoccurring theme. It seems lately, not that I'm a huge fan, but totally relevant to this conversation. And, um, we kind of decided and and see if this makes sense to you, but in terms of cancel culture, you know, it doesn't seem to be equally applied to people who are no longer living. Like it seems like a safe category is if you have privilege, you ought not to enjoy it. If you fall into the cancel culture, whereas if you've deceived, if you've died, like John Lennon or Michael Jackson, you know, the atrocities that you might've done.
1: Yeah. I think that's a a cultural thing of, you don't speak ill of the dead, right. That a lot, a lot of people are susceptible to. And honestly, I, if if a person was a huge like piece of crap in their life, you should still be able to say that about them when they died.
0: I agree. And much like the same way that if I love, you know, I loved some of the music that Michael Jackson produced, it doesn't mean I endorse the fact that he was, you know, potentially, well, all a
1: child predator. Yeah,
0: all signs seem to be pointing. That's yeah. sort of the public court opinion.
1: Well, and then there's there's also a lot of hypocrisy in, in a lot of this stuff too. That you see in a lot of cases where once someone is no longer, I don't know, like making money or producing quality content or something, then it's more likely that they'll get canceled. Like the whole open secret with R. Kelly. You know, it's it's decades of stuff. But and as soon as he went broke, oh, now he's back in court and going to prison,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, and then right. like the whole I hate the whole like Me Too movement. You know, they they go after Weinstein, but they've been publicly lauding um, uh, who's the guy who directed Rosemary's Baby.
0: Oh, yeah. I want to say. I got it. Take your time. Any yeah. of this stuff I can cut right out. I find during the editing process, it's better to be right than wrong. Yeah. I had an example I should put as a disclaimer, as a perfect example, I was talking about Alice in Wonderland mm-hmm. and I mistakenly said the author's name wrong. Of course, it's Lewis Carroll who wrote Alice in Wonderland. If that was the pseudonym. And I said, CK Lewis mistakenly. Yeah. And, and, uh, and I, it's far better to get it right in the recording than go back and try to amend yeah
1: so I, I just looked it up it was roman polanski that's right and in
0: quentin tarantino's he was a major character uh, i haven't
1: watched that movie yet
0: oh my it, god i've heard amazing Tory. things i just
1: i just Tory. i just don't don't sit down and watch movies all that much anymore.
0: Tory, i mean what are you doing with your time i mean you're you're checking in every two weeks to to <laughs> indicate you're still not employed and you're telling me you're busy with gaming and whatnot it sounds like life's going pretty well take fucking two hours out of your busy time and and watch tarantino's new movie it's the best one yet
1: yeah but yeah he he did some terrible things and he he was getting charged and then he fled the country but you know people people have stood up for him because of his movies and it's just like no even some of like the greatest filmmakers uh, i saw something recently about talking about shelly duvall you know, mm-hmm. she was the wife in *The Shining*, who Kubrick broke, like, you know, did horrible things to get these performances, and it's mm. we shouldn't celebrate this stuff. You know,
0: that was the pre- previous episode I was having. Um, uh, I was just editing up this episode on uh, can you separate art from the artist in this culture of of you know learning of a tr- of of, of um, terrible wrongs that they've done i mean i'm a gigantic fan of stanley cooper
1: i love his stuff but he was not a nice man
0: well some would say he was uh he was you know the epitome of an artist who was able to evoke exactly the response that he wanted from from his actors which yeah sadly seems to have involved some
1: abuse but then there's also uh a quote i think it was uh laurence olivier and dustin hoffman where Dustin Hoffman stayed up for three days to film a scene because his character was at that point. And Lawrence Olivier just asked him, he's like, my dear boy, haven't you just tried acting? You know, it's like that concept of uh, do you need to psychologically abuse someone to get them to act that way? Or are they an actor? And can they, you know, do what acting is playing pretend, mm-hmm. you know? Could she have just drawn on some of her own personal experiences and not had to be, you know,
0: accosted and, you know, ber- yeah. berated on set and like, deli- apparently deliberately shown disfavor while
1: Kubrick was, uh, yeah.
0: Chummy, 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 chummy with, uh, Jack Nicholson.
1: Yeah. So, you know, it's, uh, that's, that's a whole I, I, other... I
0: think. To sum it up, I think I, maybe I, I gather you'll, you'll probably agree with me and and we'll have to make another episode on the basis of something we don't agree with. We haven't found it yet, it seems. But maybe this, maybe you'll disagree with this. I don't know. But it seems as though people at, these days are feeling like they're under the thumb. They're, they're confined, you know, by their job or lack of job or, you know, paucity of health care, income, whatever it is you know and being in an abusive relationship and it's to a point where people are just not going to tolerate any semblance of coercion anymore and when you see that in these sort of relationships where there's a, a power dynamic like Michael Jackson and the youngster or or Kubrick and and the and his employee essentially mm-hmm. his actor actress um You know those are just cases to make sense of what we're talking about but essentially you know these days it wouldn't it doesn't seem like it would fly i mean there's a megaphone that that you can easily access people will just not tolerate it i mean it comes from that sense of insecurity please tell me i'm wrong
1: i think there is the crowd that's not going to tolerate it but then I mean, there's a uh, whole thing going on with Joss Whedon, who had to step in due to tragedy to uh, finish off the uh, Justice League movie, which is now getting a four-hour-long cut. And and people talked that he he was like emotionally manipulative and abusive on set for many of his shows and movies, you know. And that's that's something that happened. years ago so maybe we're moving slowly to the point where people aren't going to deal with it but in in a world where if you lose your job you often can lose everything you know a lot of people have no stability to to lose a job they're they're gonna take more abuse than than they should because we don't have these sort of protections
0: you're Exactly. I mean, the, to that very point, the uh, there's a widening of the gap, much like polarization is causing a gap in ideologies from one polar end to the other. So, too, is the gap widening of uh, wealth and um, political power and um, all these things. I think yeah. every, everybody's a little bit on edge um, with these pr- Perceived injustices, and um, I guess that's in some what we're trying to describe here with cancel culture.
1: Yeah, and i I have to wonder that are foreign entities also pushing more of these narratives? Like we've seen, you know, foreign powers pushing narratives during election times and creating more dissent on on the internet around times where you know political movements are happening so it's it's tough being online and you can't you can't trust where everything comes from because everyone has an agenda and you know what are you know look at look at bell they just did the let's talk day which is a a day where any text message or tweet or TikTok with a hashtag, they would donate five cents per and match up to a certain amount of money to go to mental health cases. And then the same day or day after two years in a row, they laid off tons of employees. And it's like, you, you just went and talked about this whole situation. And then you did the thing that's going to cause the most mental anguish to these people while recording record profits
0: record profits in addition to the criticism they recently went under fire for receiving i guess federal uh supplements are you aware of this that i mean yes
1: they received they received like 122 million dollars in wage subsidies or something like that
0: so the press is saying and it's quite uh quite a damning story for Bell. Yeah, but everybody's looking to get in that angle, it seems, and to find you know to pick up the dirt, and um, in a way, I guess you know that's what critical thinking requires. But but balance, I think, and objectivity, and that comes with deciding you know where to situate yourself in any given argument, like we're trying to do today. Yeah. Well, you've been you've been gracious with your time. You tell me, um, you know, before we wrap up here. I mean, what else? Um, What else have you got to say? I'll give you the final word, but I I'm making it a tradition lately to, you know, invite you to plug any idea or um, if you've got um, something that you think folks should, should look up, I can uh, link it in the show notes. Or do you want to suggest a topic for a future uh, episode of the Rex Crim show? Or do you want to nominate someone who, uh, who might who I should be, you know, inviting onto the show. Food for thought, not, not to put you on the spot. You can also uh, follow up. You've got my my email, rexcrimshow at gmail.com for you and anyone else interested in providing input. I guess the invitation goes out to you, Tori, and anyone else listening. Feel free to to nominate a suggestion or someone that I should talk yeah.
2: with.
0: Do you think you could help me find an incel uh, member? A member of the Incel community, how many karma credits have you got on Reddit?
1: <laughs> not, not a lot. Um,
0: neither do neither do I. I posted on. I one.
1: wonder if you should look. I saw um, an AMA, which was a person who was formerly in the Incel groups, and I, I wonder if that would be an interesting one, where a person who has gone through that change of they believe that and and done it, um, kind of in same idea there is a black man in the states who has befriended a ton of kkk members the white supremacy group and he's converted them from being these hateful people into uh, more understanding people and i think i think that'd be it uh i believe he had a book i'm not sure what it's called but that would be that'd be an interesting thing to look up because it, it
0: I love that. goes
1: through changing the opinion or hoping to give people the tools to change an opinion on something they believe in
0: which meeting them where they're at
1: yeah and that's and that's one of those things where it's tough you know and but this man has come up with a way that allows him to you know remove people from hate so that, that, that'd that be an interesting thing to to look up.
0: Well, please send along his details if you happen to have it. Bear in mind, if you're going to refer me to any incel or former incel stranger off of the internet, uh, then you can refer them to the Rex Grimm show at gmail.com rather than my personal one, uh, mike at
1: mike.com.
0: Hopefully, I'll
1: see if I can find that uh, AMA and maybe that could just be one of those things you can. Either bring up some of the things he talked about, or even give you a person to contact who and possibly yeah,
0: talk to. Th- think about that. I'm just planting the seed because if you're able to uh, make that connection, uh, it would be nice. Right now, I'm reaching out to people that I know, but the idea of the show is, as you very eloquently pointed out with the KKK example, you know, it's a matter of uh, finding the opposite of hate and um, and giving a space for. Um, dissent i guess but also understanding and intellectual reasoning so
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's been an absolute pleasure uh, thanks for coming on Tori.
1: it's been great talking with you
0: it's been uh yeah i mean we probably say this every time but uh too far in between each visit
1: exactly although maybe next time we can we'll have to do it again with uh, without the recording let our hair down so to speak indeed
0: well i hope you weren't too reserved i i, I like it to be candid and authentic uh, which is what it was i think but uh, to a yeah. degree we have to <laughs> censor ourselves
1: yeah can't can't bring up some of our useful indiscretions
0: no they could uh, very easily have us both canceled
1: yeah
0: right on well all the best to you my friend i'm wishing you well Good luck uh, getting through this last leg of the pandemic. Let's hope we can meet up in Vegas someday.
1: Yeah. Good luck with uh, the continued success of this podcast.
0: Well, thanks for that. We'll see how it pans out. I'll uh, hope to hear from you if you can make the connection with uh, and infiltrate the incel community.
1: Uh, I won't have very much luck infiltrating that.
0: (laughs) Right right on. Well, thank you, uh, my friend, and all the
2: best.
1: And Take care, Mike.